Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, we'll be covering chapters 3 and 4 of The Great Hunt. Friends and enemies and summon. Enjoy. My mother <laughs> always told me the best way to learn to deal with a man was to learn to ride a mule. <laughs> she, said, <laughs> she said they have about equal brain most of the time. Sometimes the mule is smarter. I'm not going to tell you where my mind went when she said that statement. Yeah. I'm like, you tripped him up, you jumped on his back. I think your mother meant something completely different. But yeah. I'll let you go ahead and think that. It kind of still lends to the innocence of the group and how young so, they are because I forget at times that we're still dealing with kids that have just been thrown into a very adult world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because the, the interaction and the exchange itself, like he's focused on, oh, well, she's a woman now. She should be wearing a braid. She should go back home. But all she's focused on is being an eye to die. And then she's like i'm gonna handle this situation i'm gonna ride you like a mule all right welcome to season two episode two of the will reads moving right along on the great hunt uh before we get into the episode just a couple of housekeeping things i want to do we do have a new patron so whenever we have new patrons i have have to uh, give a shout out so jt840 is our newest patron and thank you so much we appreciate it tremendously whenever we get those and speaking of patrons, this is going to be our last recording for non-patrons, uh, live recording. Um, obviously, um, uh, we will continue to do live recordings for our patrons, but originally that's what this thing was set up for. We opened it up to everyone for COVID. Now that uh, you know, maybe it's going away, I, actually it's not, but but they're releasing <laughs> But we're, just, we're not as quarantined as we were before, even though we might have to go back to work too. So I guess things are changing. I don't know. Yeah, you have to go. Back to, you have to go back to work. So, so, but but just not to do disservice to our patrons that are actually that's one of their perks. We are going back to um, the, the patron only um, live recordings. Uh, we will occasionally still do non you know uh, recordings for everyone. We just won't do them every week. Um, so occasionally we'll open them up for everyone, but we'll continue doing patron only recordings, live recordings. Moving forward, we'll see how that goes. Um, you get the live recordings at the lowest level, so it's a dollar a month, um, and you're grandfathered in. So, yeah, that's a dollar. You can join. Go to our Patreon. It's in the description. I can uh, send a link. It's just patreon.com uh, slash the wheel reads is uh, our Patreon site. It's one dollar. Yeah. So, um, like I said, it's a dollar a month. So, if you guys want to listen to live recordings, go ahead, sign up. We'll greatly appreciate it, um, and you'll be able to join us for, for live. Um, other than that, any other announcements? Um, you know, our downloads have been steadily rising. Um, we got to 7,000 downloads, actually all well on the way to 8,000 already, so it's just wow. going up. Yeah, um, and, and we're averaging a, a lot. You know, I, what makes me more excited is actually I go back and look at the first couple episodes, and those numbers keep on ticking up, which means we have new listeners coming through the pipeline all the time, so... That's really exciting that people are finding us cool. all the time, uh, which means that we're continuing to grow. Um, 
are, are otherwise people are just don't. Current people are just baller and they are inviting their friends and we appreciate them. Yeah, are people just yeah. going back and, and starting it over again? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how that all works. I think it's for individuals. So, so that's it for the personal, or uh, at least for the housekeeping. Now onto personal life. Um, I'll start um, right now. I'm on vacation, so I've been slacking on everything. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> so I haven't been doing much social media. I, I haven't been doing my readings as much as I should. I uh, usually am way prepped and way organized coming into these things. Um, I am prepped for this episode. It's just uh, everything was last minute for me just because I'm busy doing house projects and going to in-laws' houses and, and doing all of that stuff and, and spending way too much chatting on Discord. So um, not not that I will stop doing that. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, but I, I definitely, um, uh, when I get back to work, it kind of gets back mm-hmm. to my rhythm. But vacation is always fun. Um, that's it for my personal life right now. Just, just yeah, vacation. Not go anywhere fun, just vacation. So um, I have been, I kind of hinted at this before, even though I'm still teleworking, uh, since I got my boys now, I've pretty much been on vacation since they've been around because I will log out in the morning before they wake up and I crank out three to four hours of work and just bust my butt doing what I can first thing. And then by the time they wake up, I'm literally just monitoring my emails throughout the day to see if anything else pops up. Uh, and we're just playing all day. So I continue to go tubing, uh, did a little sailing, uh, lots of fishing, swimming. My youngest, who is four, is now jumping off of the high dock, even at low tide, which uh, big tides here. So that's like... Man, today it was like a seven or eight foot drop when the tide was down low and he was leaping off the, the top dock. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, and his taste buds are blossoming. I mentioned this before. I made some meal that he was like super excited about. Well, we took him to this seafood joint the other night uh, out with my mom and he tried shrimp and scallops and oysters and and like the whole spread that we had out and he loves him some shrimp and scallops now so we went out again at night and my four-year-old put down a pound of shrimp by himself and then was like eating off of people's plates so Damn. um we've been eating really well and just playing all the time and it's fantastic <laughs> that's awesome i'm loving it awesome. um that is really cool so i'm staying super busy we are on 10 hour days right now which means we're actually on 13 hour days so i literally been getting in the office by seven o'clock and if i'm lucky like if i actually leave in 12 then i'm leaving at seven o'clock every night um and what that looks like for me is i'm taking classes from eight until 4 30 every day on top of working full-time on top of sliding in my part-time job here and there um, during the few breaks that I do take on top of jumping on Zoom meetings at 7 o'clock for my coaching gig. So I actually um, was late tonight because we had another meeting tonight. We were supposed to have a retreat this past weekend, as you guys know, but that got canceled and replaced with Zoom meetings up until next Monday, I believe. I think it's supposed to end right before our next. So been really busy with that as well as being active with um the multicultural student affairs group on my uh cnu campus which is where i'm an alumni 
And I'm also been asked to join a couple of other political groups, which, you know, I don't necessarily align with. Well, I can't say that I align with them, but it doesn't mean that it's my wholehearted belief. So I'm wrestling with that idea on top of trying to learn how to become a math teacher because my classes really aren't worth much to me. I've actually taught a few of the classes because the professors got frustrated with the technology and I know the material. So I literally took it over and just started teaching twice, three times now. <laughs> and then uh, on, on top of that, um, I'm trying to encourage my nephews to do more reading this summer. So I'm taking um, the charge here and like modeling what we do here. And I will be doing a couple of book studies with my nephews and a couple of friends and their nephews. So it's just really a guys group. And we're going to look at some uh, books that are on the summer reading list for the middle schoolers and high schoolers and go through that with them when we find the time, which we're, you never find the time. You have to make the time. So true, true. That might, that, but that yeah. is all. Awesome. Might I suggest putting "Eye of the World" on the mandatory reading? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> that would be awesome because then I would actually. I mean, I, I've actually thought about that, but we're um, we're gonna do some things that are kind of addressing stuff going on in current culture, just because my nephews are are mixed kids and. My friend's yeah. nephew is a black kid and another one is another group of mixed kids. And, you know, not to say that race really matters in this. We want everybody to be involved. But my nephews have been asking a lot of deep questions and for a nine and a 15 year old to ask the questions that they're asking. It's concerning. So I, I need to do something to give them a an introduction into common culture, current culture. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, kind of bridge the gap for them before somebody else does it. I have to get That's ahead good. of the negative messages that are out there and, and create positive ones. So, yes, shaping those young minds on, on any topic is hugely important. But for them and on that topic is that that's a huge task. So, I, yeah, I hate to say this. Once the world gets back to work and things quiet down a little bit, then I can add fun books to the mix like I have the world. Right. But until then. I've got sure. to address what's going on. So, yeah, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, awesome. Well, sounds like you're really busy. Um, <laughs> like I said, Ian's on the river all the time. I'm on vacation, and Chris is like working for all of us. So yeah. um, that's what it sounds oh, like. It was so horrible. cool because my part-time job, I got four leads after I put out the ad on Facebook. I put the ad out, and it hit Facebook Sunday afternoon. I've already got four people coming in. Which is really oh, nice. huge for us because one one person minimum is going to spend two grand and max they're going to spend eight. And I get okay. a percentage of that. So I'm like, Shh. if I get two out of those four, then that's freaking awesome for the company. So, nice. That's great. That's awesome. Cool. Keep grinding, well, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Well, moving on to, I guess, uh, the actual uh, meat and potatoes, uh, our actual episode. So we'll start with predictions from last time. And then kind of roll right into chapter three of the Great Hunt. So predictions was that the sword never really belonged to Tam; that it was actually passed down in Mitferrand. That was a prediction. Um, the the heron marked blade. Um, next, pr- not really a prediction; it's more of a statement. But after the dark friend social, everyone's a dark friend. Trust no one. 
Um, I think we've done. We've we've, we've said it before that everyone's a dark uh, uh, a dark friend, but I know you guys kind of backed off that. But now you guys are back, definitely on dark Trust friends no. everywhere. Yeah, um, I think Chris actually was really, really particular and specific on this one. Said that Tom will be back by episode thirty three. So this is technically <laughs> episode twenty six of the Will Reads. Um, so we got a few more left to to get Tom back, but um. That's that's what Chris predicted. And, I'm excited for that. <laughs> and this is a reoccurring one as well, but uh, Lance the man. Um, I think Ian uh, said that yeah. again. So, uh, Lance continues to be the man. Um, and anything else? Any predictions? I know I, I we have tons of them all the time, and like I kind of pick out a few here and there. But I know you guys have some. So if you guys want to take some time, and or if you have any come to mind. I know you guys didn't prep for this. I'll put you guys on the spot. This would be really yeah. fun for all of our people on Discord listening. Type in your favorites in the chat. <laughs> yeah. What's... Oh, yeah. Type in your favorite predictions of ours in the chat. How about that? Favorite predictions. <laughs> and yeah, then Alan sees ones that he likes. He can read them as we go along. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. T trips. Yeah. I talk to... <laughs> yeah. There you go. Tom the White or Time Traveling Tam. We have a couple. Of- <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm gonna hold on uh to Tom the White coming back, even if it's the last freaking book. I'm gonna hold on to that. <laughs> like he's he's not Yeah, he's gonna come back. Yeah, keep going through the whole series. Um Yeah. So let's go ahead and he's just jump right in. Having sex with Moraine. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh man, that uh, who wants the mustaches, right? <laughs> that he said Tom's going to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's been a kind of, apparently, uh, Chris already broke into the tequila. Oh, yeah. No, Hennessy tonight. I found a new love. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, I'm yeah. on tequila, so there we go. You, know, you missed a really good game the other night. Not allowed to talk about it, but you missed it. Just want to let you know that. I'm gonna. I'll get one in at some point. Oh man. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was fun. Um, the, yeah, the, the the game the game it must not be named. Yes. So we, we we won't get into that. But um, yeah, there was a fun it was a fun time. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, cannot be talked about. That's that's basically it. So there, there's a there's a secret game on DT's server. So I can talk about that. So go go over to play uh, Wheel of Time uh, trivia on the discords, and you might be invited to play the secret game. And that's. That's all. That's all I'll say, and I think I'm not breaking any of the rules. Um, so, going on to chapter three, we have friends and enemies. It's the name of the chapter, and the icon is a new one. So, let you guys talk about the chapter title and what your thoughts are, and also that new icon. So, so friends and enemies. Um, I kind of rolled my eyes at this. It's not as bad as choices. Uh, but especially after our prologue here and our discussion about everybody's a dark friend and trying to put yourself in the perspective mostly of Rand because that's who we've read through his eyes and thoughts so far. Like, it's hard to tell who your friends and enemies are. And he's at this point now where he's watching his friends, like he watched Matt unravel with the dagger, and he's watching Perrin change drastically, and his female friends... uh Egwene and Nynaeve are are starting to change and bud and and they're going on a path he knows he can't go on and so friends and enemies yeah we get it Jordan like 
but you should have put a question mark on there or something like I, not that this yeah. chapter really defines who the friends are and who the enemies are. It's just, that's the question so far. <laughs> it's every an implicit statement. Yeah. Every, every character we meet, even me as the reader, I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, they sound cool, but in three books, am I going to find out that this is Beazelman's nephew? Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so the title itself kind of lends way to the overall atmosphere and environment. Like you got Rand who really doesn't know who he can trust. Like he's got his core group, but even they're like, they don't know what's going on with him, Matt, as far as Matt and Perrin are concerned. And then Egwene and Nynaeve, and you know, if you really want to include Lan and Moraine in that equation uh, as friends, <laughs> they, they know what's going on with him. And it's like, how far can he trust them with the knowledge that they have? And Moraine has given him no reason since she's discovered what she knows to trust him at all, to trust her at all. Like Land yeah. at least is the only one that's like, dude, get the hell out of here, like run. And even he said it's just kind of too late. Like he knew Moraine was back and he didn't even decide to push him the day or the night before. I mean, that's not really his prerogative. His job is to do what Moraine says and you know, that he can kind of do as he wants here and there. So, you sure. know, ultimate bitch boy, if you call it that. <laughs> <laughs> and then as far as the icon is concerned, I'm wondering if that's the dagger, if that's Matt's dagger. And, I, you With know, the I, ruby on the hilt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks a little bit bigger than the normal dagger, but, you know, we didn't really define how big this dagger was. And like she said, sure. <laughs> Looks can be deceiving. <laughs> right. Yeah. So let's move right into the, are you anything to add about the icon, Ian? No, I actually okay. was clueless about it, but he said dagger and I was like, oh yeah, it could be. No. Yeah. That has like the little thing on the hilt. So um, I think that's pretty, yeah. It looks yeah. like there could be a gym there. Um, so yeah. So the episode starts with Rand trying to go to another gate. So when we left off last um, chapter, um, Rand had just been denied at a gate, saying that, you know, or he was talking to Stable Hand, I think it was, um, and it's, it's Timu, I think was his name. And uh, he's, he said, no, we just closed all the gates. So he goes and tries a different gate. And he has, there's two guards there, and they have this interaction. The guards kind of give him a hard time, and they're kind of rough with him. Um, and he asked if they could leave, and they were like, nope, can't do it. And they're like, come on, I'm just going to hunt some rabbits. They're like, no, no, no way, can't do it. So I, I don't know if you want to talk about this interchange, but uh, it's a it's a you meet some more Shinarans here, and he's you know, and well, I, I thought this interchange was pretty cool. Like he, it shows that Rand's developed a relationship with the people in the short time that he's been there, mm-hmm. um, which we haven't really seen much relationship building. Like we've seen them run into different characters, but they didn't really establish a real relationship. But here he's actually got somebody that he's particularly friendly with and then somebody that he doesn't get along with as well. Is it uh, Masima? Is that how you pronounce it? Masima? Masima. Masima, so, yeah. Like, I think Masima's making fun of him about the, the bow that he uses, which I'm assuming he's got to be using a longbow of some sort since they call it. Yeah, yeah the two rivers use longbows. Yeah, so. Yeah. 
Which I guess a horse bow is like your your smaller short bow. So what, mm. a couple of feet, three feet, four foot bow, versus a, yeah, I mean, a five top. or six foot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, longbows typically are taller than you are, so yeah. you know to, to, to draw that on a horse is next to impossible. So. To try to run away, <laughs> but to try to run away with all of that equipment, he was definitely yeah. like making himself look super suspicious. I mean, you know, oh, sure. he's like, well, you know, I go out all the time. They're like, yeah, sorry, nope, you're not allowed to go. Like, literally, they're cutting him off without even knowing it, which is yeah. hilarious. <laughs> sure. Uh, so I should say now, I, me- I mentioned it to you in uh, pre-recording, but uh, I-, I almost feel guilty. The first two chapters, I was kind of naysaying, and I was a little poo-poo about how slow it seemed to start. But then I had to remind myself, you know, we're only reading a couple chapters at a time. Uh, and and so I start reading this and I was like, ah, it's more of the same. He's just running around and trying to get away. Can't get away. Didn't seem too exciting. Uh, but without jumping ahead, uh, by the end of chapter four, for sure. But even by the end of chapter three, like, man, this really shifted gears on me. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed reading these two and and getting sucked back in. But uh, when I, while I started this, the first couple mm-hmm. pages, I was like, oh, my gosh, here we go again. It's going to be yeah. slow <laughs> and way too much world building and yada, yada, yada. Uh, but that, that changes very quickly. Sure. So, yeah, Rand tries multiple gates. They're all guarded and kind of just gives up at some point. Um, he actually thinks even about climbing over a wall. You know, maybe he can get over a wall and um, – you know, you know, doesn't want to give up on trying to, and he's trying to avoid Aes Sedai as well. So, um, you know, as Ren's doing this, Ren's thinking that they're going to gentle him. Um, that's the, the term they use. So I don't know if we've talked about that at length. Um, have we talked about what gentling? We have alluded to gentling. We haven't okay. really discussed the process because I don't know that we really come into anybody that was gentled. I know it was mentioned that um, Tom's nephew was he gentle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gentle, yeah. Yes. But but beyond that, we really haven't gone into into the particulars regarding gentling. But like I have the sure. assumption they 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 strip. I mean, of course they they strip them of their powers in some way. Right. So I'm wondering yeah. how they cut that connection. It's almost like cutting off their life force because the statement was made that once they're gentle, they don't live much longer. Because right. of the disconnect. And, and he's wondering about that too. Like, wonder if it'll just be better if he does get gentle. But he also remembers that that almost always they die mm-hmm. soon after. They, they lose their will to live. Um, it's just, you know, that, that it, it, kind, it sounds like the, uh, the male Aes Sedai that uh, went to seek refuge in the steading and mm-hmm. they were, they, they, they couldn't do it uh, because living without the power and completely disconnected was just. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, as he's, he's he, this is heavy on his mind as he's walking through the keep, and you know, he starts uh, making his way actually through the keep, you know, and starts getting more and more paranoid. It feels like someone's watching him, and uh, he's kind of freaking out. Like he goes into like a, a courtyard and, and thinks that there's someone watching him. Then he feels like these eyes are always on him. So I wanted to talk about that. What you guys thought about? this and and the that mysterious kind of watching feeling yeah I, I wonder if this is still residual from his channeling the power or mm-hmm. 
but it, it could all just it, it could also be legitimate paranoia. I mean, from what he's been taught about men who have channeled, uh, so he has this fear of what he might become, and then you know, he can't talk to his closest friends about it, like Chris mentioned. And the one person who could probably give him more information about it now won't talk to him. And then, and then all these Aes Sedai and the Emerlin seat are coming in. So like, I guess paranoia isn't the right word. Cause I mean, he's totally justified in, in being afraid, but it it's, right. it's either in his head or like I said, it may be just residual from having channeled the power recently. Like his mind is kind of a little twisted. I was waiting for him to stumble in, into a dream. I thought that's where we were heading at this point. When, yeah. when he thought everywhere he looked like somebody was looking at him, he felt the presence. I was like, here we go. Beazelbong going to pop out and be like, <laughs> but yeah. you know, that never, never happened. So sure. Well, and then for me, like I, a couple of different thoughts ran through my head and then it was kind of confirmed, but not confirmed towards the end. Like part of me thought like maybe there's, some residual from uh Shadar Logoth, like maybe huh. death was there. I mean, we do have the dagger, okay. we do have the dagger there, right? And then, yeah, I don't want to spoil the end of where we're, well, I don't want to spoil where we're headed, but the statements that were made before or, or mm-hmm. made at the end, I should say, kind of allude to something that could be happening here currently, and we'll get to that. Um, Sure. Like, I want to think that maybe a shade was there, but the statement was made, like, if there was a shade, we would know it. We're fade. I'm thinking the wrong. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm mixing up my stuff. But anyway, that's the Hennessy talking. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Anyway, like, there was that thought. And then, of course, we don't know who all within the city is keeping an eye on these guys. True. Like, I'm sorry if we have some random people here, like, even though we like appreciate them and we're showing them love and they came with two of our favorite people, we're still going to keep an eye on foreigners. Like they're still outsiders. So right. There was that thought too. Maybe there's a character we haven't been introduced to yet that we will be eventually. And let's not forget, Chris, everyone's a dark friend. Let's go back to our prologue. Exactly. We know there is a strong probability that there is a mixed up uh, in the crowds here that is a dark friend that might even be personally called upon by Beazelman to play a certain role here. So maybe that's part of it. That's true. We just we never know exactly what's going on. And that's the Lord yeah. Jordan, I guess. He just keeps us guessing until book 14. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, he makes his way through the keep. Like I said, he makes his way to a storeroom. And there's a bunch of people just throwing dice. Um, you know, uh, which I, I, I love this because that's a um, – we screw up in different news. I've played many <laughs> dice games. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah. that's a pastime for us. It's so. a pastime for different news. If you go, to, if you go to the kind of the the, the, the uh, certain areas of town, uh, throwing dice games in alley definitely happens. And, any one of the high schools. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I've been in a bar and some random guy comes up to me, has some dice, like, "Hey, you want to throw dice? You got twenty dollars?" I'm like, "All right, let's some dice." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah. Um, uh, CeeLo, and uh, I'm not going to get tall <laughs> um, <laughs> so, But anyway, that's the people throwing dice. Um, and 
and, and Loyal's there watching, and he's kind of upset because they won't let him play. Uh, like he keeps asking, like, "Can I play?" And they're like, uh, "Glory to the Builders." Yeah, no, we're not going to play. <laughs> and, and he's really, really upset about it. So he's happy to see Rand. Um, and, and Rand's like, "Wait, you were a builder? Like, you must know like blueprints and like and a way yeah. out." Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's get to this scene, and, and yeah, Loyal of course says no. Like, this is not the same city we built. Yeah, good old cute. Friendly, loyal, just being so happy-go-lucky, almost clueless sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's it's great. Like while you're reading it, uh, Jordan does a great job here because, like, I started to have the same thought. He's trying to find an escape, and then who does he run into? He runs into Loyal, and I was like, "Ooh, maybe Loyal knows some secret passage." Like I'm still convinced that Rand's going to be able to sneak out somehow, right? Right. Um, but then immediately shot down by by Loyal, and I was like, "Ah, oh, great! You know what? What good are you, man?" <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I had the up. exact same thought. So we were all on the same page on that. I was like, "Well, our boy found a way out," and then all of a sudden, it's like, "Sorry, bitches." <laughs> yeah, he, he he literally closed the door on that very quickly. <laughs> sure. Yeah, he was very and... nice about it. He's like, you know, what we built is kind of underneath this, you know. This is okay. Ours was much better, but this is okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and you know, Loyal thinks Rand's sick too. That's another thing as well. It's just, you know, Rand doesn't look too good. Then, you know, all of a sudden Loyal turns over and says, Hey, you know, Matt and Perry are here. Come on over. Rand's I don't think Rand's well. Come look at him. And then you get to probably one of the most uh, I don't know how to put it. I when I first read this, I want to get you guys' reaction. Like uh, to this, because I'm not, I'm not going to try to influence you guys, but this next scene when Matt and Perrin come over and Rand just, yeah. Um, just... So the <laughs> psychology of it, and we've seen it in other movies and read it in other stories of, like, even as I'm reading it, you know, Rand doesn't really mean it. He's trying to push them away. And I think Egwene hits the nail on the head a little bit later in calling him out right. on it. But he's trying to push them away. But at the same time, like, we followed this story and we know these guys, Matt and Perrin, especially Loyal, do not deserve this. Right. Um, I think I was more pissed at how he spoke to Loyal. Like, he's the one character so far that everybody loves and has respect for. Well, I guess, I guess except the Forsaken. They were a little rough with Loyal. But <laughs> other than that, mm-hmm. like every group of characters we run into, like they have respect for this guy and he's just so kind and everything. And, and to be short and mean to him, like that yeah. was effed up. He, he, yeah. They're out of slapped him upside the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you hit the nail on the head. I completely and totally agree with you. I was really frustrated by that interaction um, the exchange just was not positive at all. Like I can understand where he's coming from. I can understand his frustration, but to take right. it out on his boys, it's like, dude, get it together. Yeah. Like, and I know, like he's trying to save them from the knowledge that he could potentially be killed because of his power. But you know sure. what, what else are friends for? You went through all of this stuff together already. It's kind of like, I hate to compare it, like when Harry Potter back in Deathly Hollows was 
trying to run people off because he was like, you know what, I just need to do this myself and and, and find the rest of the Horcruxes alone. You know, right. You're never going to do it alone. you got to have your support staff. Like, you can't handle the bulk of the work without having somebody behind you, especially when you're not the sharpest tool in the shed. Sure. And I yeah. and con- considering the small town they came from, like how well they knew each other, they were best friends, they'd gone on these big trips together before. Um, I just, I don't know. I feel like if I was in those shoes, Matt and Perrin, despite the dagger and despite uh, Perrin's yellow eyes, I still feel like I would confide in them. And I don't care if Moraine said, hey, you got to keep it from these these kids uh, or, your, or your friends. I, I would still tell them. You know, and, and here's a great example of what not telling them is going to do. Like, I, we're still early in this, and maybe Egwene convinces them to apologize to Matt and Perrin and whatever. But if not, this could be the beginning of a big split in their relationship. Like, it could be fairly significant. So, ho- hopefully, he fixes this. And then, after this whole entire telling off Loyal, um, you know. He has the like, loyal kind of walks off, and immediately afterward, Rand slumps against, I guess, the, the second grains, and he hears a voice in his head taunting him. Um, and when he tries to actually think or answer the voice in his head, it just laughs. So, I wanted to ask you about this voice. What do you guys think about that? Um, I don't know if you guys caught that, or you know, I, I no, go for it. I was gonna say, like, I, I, I just it didn't really hit me all that hard that it was a voice going on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I guess that was me kind of skimming by it too quick. Yeah. I think it says, well, a voice in his head taunted. You did it, didn't you? And then he says back, I had to. He told it. Well, he yeah, told the I, voice. I highlighted yeah. it, but I didn't. The interaction seemed more like mon- inner monologue at first. But, but then he asked the voice question, and the voice just laughed. Um, <laughs> I'm saying now, now that I'm rereading it because you're right. It says Rand slumped, slumped against the stack uh, of grain. Well, a voice in his head taunted, "You did it, didn't you? I had to." He told it, "I will be dangerous just to be around blood and ashes. I'm going. I'm going to go mad. And no, no, I won't." I won't use the power and then I won't go mad and, but I can't risk it. I can't. Don't you see? But the voice only laughed at him. So he's already <laughs> going mad. Like he's got voices going on in his head. I don't want to judge him because I had a period of my life where things were really tough. So like I had inner monologue too. And sometimes I taunted myself. So like this could be self deprecation or it could be that his, he's literally breaking. So. You know, that's that's something I'm going to yeah. pay closer attention to in the book. Yeah, I mean, I, I shit talk myself uh, when working out, especially sometimes. Well, especially if I'm running hills, like halfway up when my legs don't want to move anymore. Like, if there's anybody around, they'll think I'm crazy because I'm like, come on, fat fuck, pick your legs up, get up the hill. Like, and sometimes, it, sometimes in my head. But it's one voice with one message and one emotion. It's not something else that you can't control laughing back at you. <laughs> right. And and so here, I think we're crossing that threshold where there's a different voice with a different tone and a different emotion. And they're both kind of happening at the same time. It's, it's very Gollum ish. Like, well, the, you know, the, 
who was Golem before he was Golem? Uh, Smeagol. Smeagol, that's yeah, yeah. So early on when Smeagol first starts transitioning, you know, and it's the two very distinct voices in the back and forth. So, mm-hmm. uh, but who or what the voice is in his head, having a clue. And, and I mean, I didn't get any vibes that it was Beelzebub or anything like that. So I don't, I don't know. Okay. So moving on, uh, Rand then he leaves because everyone's kind of shocked. All the dice people have stopped playing dice because they're really shocked that he told off Loyal. Um, cause as little, they should be. As they should be. Uh, yeah, so, you know, Rand walks away and he runs into Egwene. Um, and he starts to tell off Egwene too, but she's not having any of it. And, um, yeah, she doesn't put all that. Actually, tackles him to the ground, uh, you know, <laughs> and, yeah, as he tries to like you know walk away or whatever. And, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they start threatening each other with the one power. He had this little bickering scene where it's like, "Well, I'm gonna use the one power." He's like, you don't even know what you're doing. I know how to use one power. <laughs> you know? um, I'll let your shorts on fire. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a little, just a little bickering scene. You're uh, Yeah. Um, but but Egwene sees right through Rand's motivation on what he's trying to do. Um, sees right through it. Whereas other friends, I think, were just really hurt. Egwene doesn't put up with it. Sees right through it, um, and and off, offers to help Red. So let's talk about this scene. So going back to what Chris said earlier about how when you're gonna go do big things, you need your team, you need your crew. This right here is a perfect example of why Rand should not, cannot go on by himself, because if it wasn't for Egwene essentially just slapping him in the face, being like, hey, snap out of it. You're being an asshole. He would have kept going down this rabbit hole and and probably would have kept going more and more towards the crazy route. So I was very relieved that right off the bat, Egwene didn't buy it. So I was like, oh, man, now he's going to go break her heart, too. That's messed up. And she's like, nope, Rand, I know you. Cut this shit out. You were being an asshole. You might be trying to protect them, but you were being a turd. Um, so I'm, I'm glad she got through to him and kind of slapped him upside the head. Well, tackled him but whatever it took you know so Mm -hmm. it it was a relief to to see that she saw right through it yep first off the very fact that his focus in that moment was the fact that she wasn't she wasn't wearing braided hair don't get me wrong i i looked at this entire interaction and i'm like dude you need to run for your life and the first thing you're thinking about is this girl's hair don't get me wrong i love hair too I have this rule. I can't date you if you can't grow hair longer than mine. I know it's conceited, but it's a real thing. I just, it is what it is. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay if you have preferences. That's okay. Uh, you know, you can have a preference. So, so like, I, I appreciate it, his statement, but at the same time, I'm like, you're running for your life. You're worried about the fact that she's not wearing a braid. And then going yep. forward, my favorite, favorite line, where is it at? Hold on. Yeah, yeah, you kind of missed the mark just a little bit of going, but the point was made and you won. So I'll have mm-hmm. to go ahead and, and bow to her on that one because, again, though she missed the mark on, on the, the, the uh, connotation, <laughs> yeah. she did a good job of putting Rand in his place. Sure. Yeah. That was, yeah. Was, was a, go ahead. If we, if we want to go, like, deep on the psychology, like – you know, on, on one hand, I'm getting a little pissed. I'm like, okay, Rand, why do you feel the need to be so 
uh, I don't know if it's controlling because it's not really outward. These are his inward thoughts, but like so judgingly, inwardly in your thoughts, controlling of Egwene and who she's becoming. Um, so that's shitty. But at the same time, I think, well, maybe he's doing it because he doesn't want to progress anymore in these powers that he's developing. And he's trying to hit the brakes. And you know how people are like so crappy about fixing themselves. So they focus on, you know, projecting that on others and trying to fix other sort of things. So, you know, right. in his mind, he's giving her crap for changing. And, oh, you got your hair down. And, yeah, you want to go to Tarvalon and be blah, one of them Tarvalon witches and blah, blah, blah. And, but really, it's not her. He's projecting on her. He's just still freaking about about himself and the changes he's going through. I don't know. Someone out there with a psychology degree helped me out with the fancy words, but you know. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. So yeah, Gwen offers to help Rand, and actually offers to hide him. You know, says, "Hey, we should hide. Let's uh, let's take you to the dungeon. No one will go down there and look for you in the dungeon." Um, and he's like, "Well, how do you know about the dungeons?" He's like, "Well, I go down there a lot to talk to Fane." And Rand's kind of taking it back. He's like, "Why are you talking to Ben and Fane? Like, pump the brakes. Like, he's a dark friend. You shouldn't be talking to him." And Egwene's like, "Well, he reminds me of home." And and I think uh, Rand's like, "Well, if Miranda approves," and she's like, "Well, Miranda doesn't actually know." He has the self-realization or actualization, whichever word you want to use. Um. That he was completely disconnected from her. Here's somebody mm-hmm. to care about, and you're supposed to essentially love. Let's not use that word right now, but we're going to use it. But then you've been ignoring her. Like, what good is that doing to build her up? What good is that doing to prove that you care for her? How is that enforcing any form of commitment? Like, this again goes to the level of maturity or lack thereof but then also a little bit of selfishness on Rand's part because this whole time he's only been thinking about himself and here we have this really impressionable Egwene who is really just looking for some sense of self and she does want to go back home she does miss home and she doesn't have anybody that she can depend on which is kind of sad yeah so they actually do go down to the dungeons and then they meet the guards and the guards are really rough and rude, like super rude to them. Um, and I think Egwene actually makes a comment saying they haven't always been like this. They just seem like they're getting worse over time. Um, and, and same with all of the other prisoners as they make it through. It's just really strange. Um, but Fane is actually waiting for them. So I don't think it's strange at all. Okay. Because it's very interesting. We're, we're getting to Fane, so I don't know if yeah. we want to break into that right now or yeah. not. We can talk, we have it's talk impossible about to talk about this without jumping to the end of the chapter. Yeah, we can talk about Fane. Let's, let, let's, talk, about, yeah. let's talk about this. Yeah, this whole scene. <laughs> this, this is where we're at. Yeah, so they're going down, they're going to the dungeon, and they get to talk to Fane. So let's talk about it all. Well, so obviously they make it a point to talk about how the guards have slowly changed. And and already we know a lot about this culture here. So initially the way they're acting to Rand and Egwene already seemed a little bit off. But then even Egwene pointed out that they had changed a little bit. So already I'm thinking, okay, there's something about Pad and Fane that is affecting the people around him. And and obviously right off the bat, I don't know what it is. Um uh, but then his 
at the very end, he starts talking about more death. Exactly. I want to know where, what did he pick up? Because we know he went into, uh, oh, what's the name of the city? Shutter Logoff. Yes, he went to Shutter Logoff. So we know he, he, knowing him, he took something. He took something. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, Because yeah, he... every, everything that's happening here matches up to what uh, Moraine said would happen to Matt if she weren't didn't intervene and eventually will happen to Matt and the people around him if he doesn't get to Tarvalon. So there's our prediction that Pat yep. Bane is going to become more death. Yeah, okay. and if not, if not more death, at the very least, what's definitely happening now is he took something and all that stuff Moraine said that could happen to Matt is happening here. That's part of Pat and Fane going batshit crazy, uh, but it's also now spreading to those people around him. Yeah. I'm going all the way far. I'm going to say he's going to take on the persona of Mordeth. Okay. And the only way he could be defeated is when Matt stabs him with the dagger in book 12. <laughs> now, that would be awesome. I'll, I'll second that with you. Yeah. Matt, <laughs> Matt takes him out with the dagger. That's how we solve Pat and Fane. <laughs> yeah. So fire, I mean, fire fane, with fire. Creepy. Yeah, Fane's definitely being creepy here. I mean, he's saying Mordoth knows, you know, everything, and then he keeps looking up towards the women's apartments, like staring up there, like he sees Mordoth a curve too. I guess maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Rand's like t- turns to Gwen, says like, "Yeah, this is a really bad idea to stay down here. This guy's crazy. I don't want to stay down here." Um, we, we we definitely shouldn't be in the dungeon. And Egwene says, well, how about we go stay in the women's apartments then? Because they won't look for you there. Like, why would they ever check there? Um, I'm with and you Rand, on that one. Let's go. Yeah, Rand protests completely. He's like, I do not want to go there. You know, why would you hide in the hornet's nest from hornets? And he's like, that's the perfect. And she's like, that's the perfect place. Like, they never look to, they never think to look there. Um, <laughs> and... and and the kind of the chapter ends with them leaving the dungeons and Pan and Fane yelling at Adam said the battle is never done before it's never over before. <laughs> um, so you get the creepy Pan and Fane yelling at him as he walks away. Yeah. So this is unrelated to how we wrapped up here, but there, like, since we've been here, there's been all this focus on Rand's last name, Althor, Althor. Like we talked about how it once meant Lord and he thought it just meant son of mm-hmm. and more death is well, not, not more death, but Pat and Fane. See, I'm already doing it. I'm calling Pat and Fane more death. I guess you're right, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so Pat and more death is shouting out to him and calling him by his name, Althor, but that's Tam's name. Right. And he's not Tam's son. So truly that's not Rand's name. So, like, there's all this focus over his last name, uh, but that's not him. I don't know. I don't know if that plays out in any way as we move forward. Maybe when we find out, like, what his Aiel name or whatever is at some point, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you caught us off guard. And maybe that's how we finally catch Basilmon and the Shadow off guard when they're like, holy holy crap, Rand's not who we thought he was. Maybe. I don't know. Sure. But there's all this focus. I don't know. I, I just I get suspicious uh, of our author because he does everything on purpose, and I feel like he's setting us up with all this focus on the last name. And then I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, man, that's technically not even his family name. So, 
Right. Yeah. Man. I think that's noise. That's the way to distract us from the fact that he's the dragon risen. <laughs> oh yeah. Quite possibly. Sure. There goes so, the before we move on to the next chapter, um, any final thoughts from this chapter? Anything else we missed? Anything you guys want to talk about from this? I know um, it starts off kind of slow, but it does definitely picks up towards the end. Yeah, let's say as a quick chapter, I don't think we really missed anything. Okay. We've had our Lord yeah, of the and- Rings references. We had our Harry Potter reference. I gave my favorite, uh, <laughs> my favorite quote from the chapter. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, I, I'm... I'm just sitting over here being giddy, and and it, it's almost unfair to say that this book starts off slow. It seemed to only because of how slow we're reading, and that, I mentioned that to you, Alan. Like I was, I was very unfair in how I judged the first couple of chapters. The prologue was great, and the first two chapters, I was like, oh no, but it yeah. picks up really fast. But like by the end of the third chapter, I'm like, oh shit, and then chapter four is just, I mean, fantastic. Probably one of the best right. chapters I've read in a while. So. <laughs> Yeah, sure. It, I don't. I don't think it truly started off slow. He was like, "We're starting a new book, and bam, here's some action." Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on to chapter four, summoned, and we have a new icon again. Of course, this one's not nearly as cryptic as the last one. Uh, last one, you're like, I don't know what it is. This one is the horn. Um, that's the icon. But let's talk about the the chapter's uh, title. So. One thing I want to point out is last episode is when we were talking about the very end, like what summoned might mean. You're like, yeah, Rand's going to get summoned by the M1C. And nope, it's not Rand. But yep. yes, there's there's a summoning. Um, but anyway, yeah, let's so talk that, about it. That's what I was going to say. Totally caught off guard. And if I'd have cheated just a little bit and read two sentences after summoned, I could have sounded smarter last recording. But we were talking ran, 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 ran. And a majority of the last book and the beginning of this book was all ran. So I'm thinking, okay, they're going to summon them, but no, definitely not. It's Moraine, but yep. I am, I'm not disappointed. I don't want to jump too far ahead. I know Chris, you might want to chime in about the summon thing, but when I read the first couple sentences and I was like, Oh wait, we're talking Moraine. And then like when he said alone in her rooms, I was like, hold on. And I skipped ahead a, a page. I try to find some italicized, like thinking in the head portions and it was Moraine thoughts. And I was like, holy shit, we're getting a chapter from her perspective. Like, I, I've i <laughs> been craving this all through Eye of the World to try and know what's going on in her head. Like, I got so I, – I think I screamed out loud like I was so excited once I figured out what we were getting here. Yeah. So in Eye of the World, Moraine only has one point of view part of the entire book. And it's at the very end when she's listening in to Egwene and Rantalk and says the dragon's been reborn. And that's the only Moraine. This is our first full Moraine chapter point of view. So it is exciting that we're getting away from the other characters and actually getting from her point of view. Yeah. But Chris, Chris, your thoughts. So, I, I mean, we had, you know, choices, decisions. Now we've got summons. Like, shit's getting real. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i i think it's it's pretty um pretty amazing how the 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 way jordan kind of plays on our emotions like he has us literally running with rand all of a sudden boom he switches characters 
Right. This whole time, we've had a three-chapter buildup of Rand getting summoned by the Emerald Seat. And, nope, we don't want him. We want Moraine. We want an explanation. And that's all I'll say. I don't want to get too much further into the chapter. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the chapter starts with Moraine alone in her apartment, um, in in the woman's apartments. Uh, She's in her room um, by herself. And it has a lot of description about the room, a lot of description about, like, her shawl and, you know, what she's wearing and those kind of things. And and it kind of has, like, this little bit of a back. The first couple of paragraphs are really just just recap about her and things like that. Uh, But a lot of description. Um, but the, the real action starts when there's a knock at her door. Um, and two Aes Sedai come in. Uh, <laughs> so you have Anaya and Leandrin. Um, so uh, those are the two Aes Sedai that come in. And uh, Anaya is being uh, very pleasant with Moraine. And Leandrin's being very, very cold. All right. So, Chris, do you want to pull a Chris or can I pull a Chris? You go for it. Okay, let's go all the way back. Man, you jumped over so many goodies. Okay, okay. I got to I got to back it up. Um so obviously the shock and all of oh my gosh, we're getting a marine chapter, right? I mentioned that. Um and we already knew that uh the Aes Sedai and the Emerald Seat coming to Faldara was significant. Like it either hasn't happened in a bajillion years or it's like just so super rare or whatever. Um but even Moraine talking about how she's dressing herself and she's wearing things that normally she would never wear in public, even where she's at, just because it kind of makes her a target. But the formality, the importance, like even from Moraine's perspective, uh, you know, as the reader, we've known her as a respected Aes Sedai. She's somebody significant, somebody important. Uh, and she has a nervousness about her, like there's there's something significant about the, the Emerald Seat coming here, and the formality that she has to uh, portray, right? So remember earlier I said I, I kind of skipped ahead to try and find the italicized and try to see are we actually going to get Moraine chapter Moraine thoughts? Um, and right off the bat, she says there must be trouble, or she thinks there must be trouble, or she would not have come herself. So obviously that's significant that she's there. And so she starts mentally going through the checklist. Okay, so what is the trouble? And who did she choose to accompany her? So now we're like right off the bat, her second thought, third thought has to do with the politics within the Aes Sedai. So now I'm looking as we move forward, who came with her? Because apparently that's significant. Mm -hmm. Uh, And here, why now? The timing of it all. And then it cannot be allowed to go wrong. That one word is what I'm surprised you skipped over, Alan. It. What mm-hmm. the hell is it? <laughs> and Chris, I'm hoping you have theories on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And she's what trouble and who did she choose to accompany her? Why here? Why now? It cannot be allowed to go wrong. Well, I, I think... I don't want to go ahead in order to come back to this place, but um, I think that in her mind, Moraine had already orchestrated the meeting with um, the Emerald Sea. Sure. Yeah. And well, yeah, you're right. We get hints of that. For so sure. if, 
because Moraine has this playing out one way and she doesn't want that to be disrupted because she has a vital message that needs to go to the Emerald Seat about the ongoings of what's happening in the world and how she does not only have one, but three Tavir and, and how, you know, I don't know how far in depth she's going to go. Um, right. Just don't want to spoil that. But reading ahead, you, I, I kind of have that assumption that that's where she, what she meant by that comment. Yeah. No. I still think that's a loaded it. That one word right there can mean so much. That You're we don't right. Know. I, I completely agree with you. I, I love for this scene how they kind of take us down a path of giving more depth and description of Moraine. Just kind of talking about the clothes that she's wearing, um, her shawl, which I think is really cool with the blazing flame, uh, white flame of Tarvalon centered on the wearer's back and a long fringe to show her Aja, which is kind of the first time we're getting like a full picture of how they really differentiated themselves. Uh, they said the shawls were seldom worn outside of Tarvalon and even they're usually only inside the White Tower. So we're getting kind of like a sneak peek of the inside of what the White Tower is going to be like. Um, yeah, and then they go into a little bit more depth about the Angriel and the San Angriel and how they're they're different things and talking about how they allowed the channeling of the one power, but then they go into the quote unquote tricks that different people have. There are different, I guess, powers that they have, which is really cool. Right. So All there's right. a lot of unpacking there. So whatever troubles brought her out of Tarvalon, she will forget them while I lay this trouble before her. A second thumping, even more vigorous than the first, sounded before she crossed the room and opened the door with a calm smile for the two women who had come for her. That's what the it is. Like, the, the very fact that she's got this big secret to unpack yeah. That's the it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. That's, yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's what she said. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, so Leandrin actually turns, uh, you, so you meet these two Aes Sedai. Leandrin turns to Moray and says, The MNC is called for you. Um, and as they're, you know, it, it makes a kind of comment saying, like, you warded your apartment. Like, and really, there's a suspicious, uh, really cold, interchange here where why would you you know do that to us like why would you try to hide something from us you know well, only from leandrin right. you don't have that suspicion from anaya but right. from leandrin mm-hmm. and I, I think this highlights like there's uh, there is a lot of political positioning and turmoil within the eye Sedai. like already here you see it right and it was very intent it was intentional who was sent to summon her there was one person that she would feel comforted by, another Blue Aja. Right. But then there's another one that would, like, this is a message to Moraine, and even Moraine kind of reads through the, between the lines. Moraine looks at him and is like, uh, okay, now with her here, this isn't a total, this isn't a happy meeting per se. Like, right. there's, there's turmoil going on. So Leandrin is the one who is super skeptical 
and trying to figure out what Moraine's doing and what is she hiding in there and not very trusting of her mm-hmm. air quotes sister sister that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and um you know as as they're walking out of the apartments Leandrin starts giving and they both start giving news um uh, she says you know there's been three false dragons since Loghain um one can channel he's in Saldea um you know, they actually say he can channel. So that's a I question mark there um, that there's all these false dragons. What you guys thoughts were there, but they're popping up like, like, like weeds. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. And what's your thoughts uh, on this was? I mean, the, the time is ripe. Yeah. We, we got, we got that feeling all the way through the last book, especially towards the end that this is, this isn't just a regular old spin of the wheel. Mm-hmm. This is a rather significant turn. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like I expect the unexpected. Yeah. And and then at some point, um, you know, Lady Emily's shows up and starts talking. And, and while she's doing her formal greetings, Moraine notices Egwene hurrying through the apartments with obviously Rand. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of a callback, you know, the stooped figure behind Karen bundles stuff. Um, and and Marine kind of just does a little smile, but then goes right back to um, her company. No, and and Let's her take a step back real quick. I I, I sure. don't want to yeah, overlook this because I really enjoyed this exchange. When um, was it Leandrin? Is that how we pronounce in her name? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yep. When Leandrin makes the comment about the warding, we get a part of Marine that I think is just so cool. She's like against all. Many of the serving women are curious about Aes Sedai, and I don't want them pawing through my room when I am not here. There was no need to make a distinction until now. Shall we go? We must not keep the emerald waiting. Like, I think it was so smooth how she constructed her words and how she's so quick on her feet to give an answer. We know why she warded that place. You're right. She didn't want it, was against all. It was specifically against the other Aes Sedai. Let's just be real. She doesn't want anybody going through her stuff and figuring things out before she delivers her message uh, to the Amaranth Sea. So, yeah, good, good point. Kudos to Moraine there. Very smooth and, and, uh, very timely in her response. Yeah. And not a lie, really. Truthfully, not a lie. But, not not the truth I think uh Leandrin was looking for. No. Yeah. And and then like I think that they thought or Leandrin thought that mentioning the three dragons was gonna really throw Moraine off. It was gonna shake her up a little bit and kind of put a little bit of fear in her. And two things happened in that moment. First mm-hmm. off, we see how much of a stone cold badass Moraine can be. Because it said, for an instance, her eyes gleamed, but she masked it quickly. Three years, three in the last two years, and now three more at once. Like, she said, as the others were, these will be dealt with also. This male vermin and any ragtag rabble who follow their banners. Again, such a smooth exchange. So quick with the words. Like, I'm falling in love. (laughs) Yeah, because she's just she's just had it, the answers crafted well and so quickly, and then of course 
the other one, is it uh, how we pronounce his name? Anaya. Mm-hmm. She just came back and she's like, ah, we're not worried about it. It's already taken care of. So I think this is a really cool interaction in general. It, it shows that there's a dichotomy within the Aja that we really need to study a little bit more in depth and that this world is really going to open up so much more and the books are definitely going to go deeper. And now I can see why we're up to, you know, 14 books. Yeah. It's because we're opening so many different worlds and there's going to be so much world building and so many different characters. And, you know, I feel bad for Martin to have to follow up after an author like this like now now it kind of makes sense like he's got to kind of meet up and match up with his boy and like he's trying to do it in less books that's never going to happen yeah. he's trying to open worlds up the same way Jordan did and and now I have a, a huge respect for Jordan and I'm giving Martin some grace now so, so yeah so after the whole false dragon conversation you know obviously they start talking about some other um, you know uh, a news as well um, um, after they see Egwene and everything like that. Um, Leandra starts being friendly towards Emilys, um, and and Moraine's really surprised by this. Um, you know, says that Red she's a Red sister, and Reds very very rarely make friends outside their Asha, and a non Sedai like is unheard of. So Rand one is getting really suspicious on what Leandra is up to. Yeah, so I already have to slide back just a little bit. So uh, back to when Moraine sees Egwene out of the corner of her eye, and then clearly sees Rand. Uh, she doesn't. She doesn't. Her thoughts have nothing to do with Rand. Her thoughts are all about Egwene. And so now that takes me back to when Moraine is first talking to Egwene about possibly being this really powerful Aes Sedai, and we question it. Well, I know I question it because I. I went back and forth on Moraine. Like I was suspicious of everything with her. Um, was she just telling Egwene that just to get her to do what she wants or did she really mean it? But then in her thoughts, she says, if the girl shows as much initiative in Tarvalon, she will sit in the Amarin seat one day. If she can learn to control that initiative, if there is an Amarin seat left on which to sit. Uh, so her thoughts are not on Rand there. Her thoughts are on Egwene and, and kind of confirms um, you know, the toss up I had about was Moraine being serious or not, like she really believes Egwene can be something significant. Oh yeah. yeah. I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. I anyway, I thought that was cool. Yeah. So the, I want to know what the importance is of the foretelling. Yeah, so we so, know we, we yeah. some I said I can foretell. I mean Elida did a foretelling in front of Rand in Camelot. Correct. So let, uh, let me back up and make the statement. That statement was made after the fact that there had been three dragons. Mm -hmm. And then still Moraine said three at the same time cannot be ignored. Has any sister been able to do a foretelling? Uh, it was a slight chance few Aes Sedai had manifested any part of that talent, even the smallest part of centuries. So she was not surprised when Anaya shook her head. Not surprised, but a little relieved. Because so... I think she was, I think she was fishing to see if there was information out there that might foretell about Rand. Rand is and what he and what he could really be. 
right. right. He used to drive. So him. she she was fishing for info, and they were like, "Oh no, there's nothing." And the only concern are those three that they talked about, and clearly they didn't talk about Rand yet. Right. So she was fishing for intel there. I think. Yeah. I I agree with you, but we need to make sure we don't overlook that. Yeah, that, that's also important. Sure. Moraine is Moraine is so freaking slick. I man, this <laughs> like, this your one, cha- this one chapter. She's scary, Bay man. She's scary, Bay. Uh, this like, one chapter her. from her perspective, and I'm really liking her, man. <laughs> yeah, she's she's slick. Um, so a yeah, conversation after this whole suspicion, it shifts to Andor. Um, Anaya starts talking about Orgays. Um, Queen Morghese doesn't hold as strong on the throne as she did before, you know, a year ago, I think is what it says. And the daughter heir, Elaine, has already made it to Tarvalin. Um, um, who, awesome. who Rand, which Rand had met and, and, you know, they're talking Mary about one day. And then, uh, and then white cloaks, <laughs> white cloaks okay. are, uh, are, are also become more active and, and are following that party that went to Tarvalin. So there's a lot of, um, stuff going on there. There's the hunt for the horn. They mentioned that has been called. The last battle's coming mm. soon. They, they Which give, we know that's a joke. Yeah, they, yeah. They give like this this dump of a ton of different news. Like um, the sea folk and the Aiel are both stirring. St- so we hear, we hear about this new people, the sea folk, and they're they're stirring and they're looking for something called the yeah. the Caramor, the Coramor. Yeah. and the Aiel are stirring as well. Um, so all this stuff, and, and then they say, you know, something about Olive Plain, and they said, oh, that's just rumors. That's just rumors. So there's there's all this stuff going on in the world, um, and, and it's kind of, and I love this scene because there's there's, fire, it's like a fire hose, like all this stuff being thrown at you. So, what's your thoughts about all this, this news? Yeah. So it. <laughs> It's impossible for you, Alan, and Chris and I to look at this the same way because you're rereading for a multiple times, so this stuff makes sense. To you. But I'll, I'll tell you what, the first time through, it's we're back in that phase where I know all of this is important. Like, I need to know this. It's important, but I don't know why yet. And it's still, like you said, drinking from a fire hose. We just got blasted with so much information there. Uh, and I'm I'm like writing notes in the corners and everything, but it, it's really nothing worth talking about here. Um, but it's all notes that don't make sense. Like I underline and I'm like, aha, and ooh, and wow, and need to know this. But I, for what purpose? I don't know. But lots yeah. of info. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I'm right there with you. It was like one of those things where I was just digesting the information and going, you know, at the end of the day, this is like stall and stall tactics. Like Moraine's trying to get as much information as she can, but she's not getting the information for the sake of getting information. She's getting information for the sake of just being able to gather what others are thinking because she already knows what's going on. Ooh, yeah. It just goes to show exactly how attuned to things she is, how perceptive she is, and it goes to show how manipulative she can be. Like, it's all the great qualities of a behind-the-scenes leader. Yeah. 
she's really just doing a a a climate assessment to determine where everybody stands before she walks in the room with the larger group and yep. she's doing it by manipulating these two girls doing as much yeah. as she can to not get caught off guard by anything when she walks in there exactly yeah agreed yeah at this point, Leandrin's getting impatient, and she says, all right, you got to meet the Amberlynn. She's called for you. Let's go into the room. So um, they enter They enter the ante room, which is like the room outside of the, you know, like the kind of the, the meat, the foyer, I guess you would say. Um, foyer. The foyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and there's several Aes Sedai there. And then we start getting a bunch of different Ajas. They start throwing – there's another fire hose scene. Um, there's brown sisters. We get a little bit about the brown sisters. They're researchers. They're very aloof. Uh, we hear about the yellow Aja, the white Aja, the green Aja. Um, you know, they start mentioning all these different colors. So, um, and I don't quite have them all figured out, but I think blue is Gryffindor. I think red, <laughs> red, red is Slytherin, and brown is Hufflepuff. Okay, not Gryffindor. Not Gryffindor anymore. Ravenclaw? Am I missing? Brown's not Ravenclaw? I mean, they're yeah, Brown would be Ravenclaw. Yeah, Brown. Would it? Okay, well, you, you'd know better than I, Chris. I just... <laughs> anyway. I like the illusion. You know, and I, I kind of went to the whole divergent series frame of thought. So, I, I can't break yeah. it down to you right now because, like you said, it was a fire hose of information. Oh, yeah. I'm like, this will be the first time, and you can go ahead and note it, the first time Chris is saying... I'm going to go back and reread the chapter. Not the no, whole yeah, no, this, chapter. This is a good one. But <laughs> just these two blurbs where there's just a bunch of stuff thrown at us. More because I want to understand the different Aja. Like, that's really what yeah. draws my attention in this chapter. Everything else is kind of just noise to get us to the point where we're meeting with, with the high bitch herself. <laughs> yeah, and, and we get a lot of politics. You know, you, you this this ch- this chapter, you definitely start to see the inner workings and the politics of the White Tower, and there's a lot of in squabbling and different Ajas definitely align with other Ajas, and they hate other. You know, there's there's definitely friction throughout the White Tower, um, and there's factions. So. Um, but we, like I said, we meet a bunch of sisters. We meet, we meet Varen, who's a brown sister. We meet Alana, who's a green. Uh, Caroline, which is Carolina, which is a white. Um, and it just kind of briefly talks about these different, um, different Ajas and different Aes Sedai you meet, and you're getting kind of a name dump of Aes Sedai. Um, literally, that throughout the books, you'll get tons of Aes Sedai to the point where it's really confusing and you can't follow all these different Aes Sedai because there's they're all named and there's a ton of them uh, but <laughs> it happens um, but is one of them Steve? Is that uh, Steve. Uh, Steve yeah good old Steve he's um, a male Aes Sedai he's a male Aes Sedai yeah uh, or, or we know, no one knows who Steve is <laughs> Steve's still a mystery to everyone Matt you assume you assume Steve's gender. That's uh, oh, yeah. Whoa, that's a little messed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. Good old Steve. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Ajahn's. If you guys had anything you wanted to ask, or oh, I'm not going to answer anything if you ask, but anything you want to talk about, <laughs> or anything you guys are, are predicting for Ajahn's before I move on to the next, when the Keeper of the Chronicles come, comes out. But um, I'll, I'll say the one, the one question I have when I started reading about the different politics of the the Aes Sedai here, the different Aja. I wonder, do they all have the same end goal, but they think like there's different ways to get to it? Or do they all have like separate different end goals that they want to happen and they're and they're working totally against each other, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And I I know there's nothing here that but like are the red Aja so effed up that they just want to see all the men on earth go up in flames and they just want to start a lesbian retreat somewhere <laughs> <laughs> or like does does everybody want to have a world of all this peace and harmony and happiness but they're just going about it different ways they think there's different ways to get there and that i don't know yet but I, i'm curious because they seem very divided some of them are very divided yeah well and for me, I just gathered just like the the basic geeky, like I, I like magic type deal. So I feel like the Aja's power are twofold. They're both elemental based and emotionally based. And so the yeah. colors are reflective of their particular attitudes and they, their aura. And then also it's uh, indicative of the type of elements or type of powers that they kind of have control over or mastery over. Like, you know, with, with most magicians, you can tap into all elements to perform certain magic, but you have a stronger or a strongest element. So like blue would indicate or be indicative of calming, which would be indicative of water. Your powers are more fluid. And then you'd have a red, which is kind of indicative of rage, which is fire. And then you have green, which is, you know, soft, um, but the same, soft and cooling and calming as well, just like the blue. That's why they seem to partner up better together. Um, but they would be more of an earth elemental. I say earth as in like, I don't know if I'd say like the physical, I'd say nature. Let's use the word nature. Because, you know, the brown, which are probably yeah. Earth, um, they're more calculated, very cold, but not cold because they're angry with people or not cold because they dislike people, just cold because they're indifferent towards people. And then you have white, which is kind of like your no-color class. They're kind of your people who see all and want to be all. They're kind of your your bland individuals and they probably draw their power just from like the, the sun or the light. Yeah. I just, my mind went down that track and I may be going too deep and it may never actually come out to being that way. And so I'm waiting for us to get to uh, Tarvalon so we can figure all that out. I'd be mm-hmm. excited to, to land there. Yeah. Um, yeah. More chapters like this would be very yeah, welcome. No. Yeah. And then we yeah. get like the interaction with, the Amelin seat. Yeah, so we have the Keeper of the Chronicles comes out, who is um, Liane, um, which is just funny. So I've always called her Liana, um, is what I've always, because that's how the audiobooks say it. But um, recently, 
the person who was cast as Leanne came on another podcast, um, uh, Tucker and and um, actually said how she's going to pronounce her name off the TV show. So I guess we have to change it now. So Leanne um, comes to guide Moraine in. She's the keeper of the Chronicles. And now Moraine meets the Amlin seat. So they greet very formally and you describe her. So let's talk about this initial meeting. It's strange to see Moraine be uncomfortable. And not uncomfortable like she's totally freaking out. Like outwardly, she's when she lets a little bit of uh, facial expression slip, she immediately corrects it and reels herself Let's back in. Let's change the word. So she's, she's great at that. Let's not say uncomfortable. Let's say out of control. Yeah. Oh, actually, yes. And, and that is the nail on the head. Like she's not running the room. Uh, she's a part of it. She's a part of the room, but she's not controlling the room. And that's very unmoraine so far from mm-hmm. what we've seen. So it was a weird perspective. Um, a large cog, but not the and, machine. Sure. Absolutely. And so uh, it's weird how I, I flip side so quickly. I, you know, I went back to questioning Moraine and now I'm back to loving her again. And because I fell in love with her after two pages of this chapter now I'm I'm in her defense, so I'm also reading this like through her eyes and looking around, like, all right, what's going on? Who's, you know, there's there's these people from these ajas and those people from those ajas. What all are they getting at? Oh my gosh, she said this. That must mean something. And you know, like I, I'm I'm sitting here reading this in her defense, and I'm like ready to punch out these other <laughs> ajas. Mm-hmm. You know, if my brain, um, but that that's like the. I'm not an English major, so I can't really describe the emotions that eloquently, but th- these are the feelings and thoughts going on in my head as I'm reading this, you know? Yeah. I think you did a really good job of breaking that down. I mean, it, it beyond the one word, it, she just was no longer in control and she's the micro macro micromanager. Like she controlled every aspect of the entire first book. Mm-hmm. Like she guided yeah. them all the way to like the beyond the edge of their world. This is talking about the two river folk. Like she took them way beyond anything they knew. She helped them or encouraged them or for, forced them, whichever words you want to use, to become more than what they were. And she, she compelled them. <laughs> she did. And like at the end of the day, like she bettered all these people around her, and she also was able to settle debts. She was able to mm-hmm. build. She was able to destroy. Like she was the top dog for the entire first book, and now she's bowing down to somebody. Right, but yeah. this is this is the head of the entire I should die. I mean, Amlin's seat is the yeah yeah. The, um, this shit uh so so yeah so, um you know the ambulance talks about her journey um the airborne does and it says elida came to tarvalin um with elaine and said a lot of stuff um brought elaine with her and says elaine has potential and could be one of the most po- most powerful i spy ever which is makes a you know which is a big thing because of you know there's never been or well there hasn't been a long time 
a nice night set as a an on throne of a nation. Uh, yeah, in, in, yeah, as and, far as we and, know. <laughs> yes, as far as we know, and, and Moraine even says like it's happened a few times, but it's uh, never really ended well um, for anyone that did. But um, they keep they keep it they secret. keep it secret. Yeah, uh, and and though and those that let people know, uh, yeah, it's been, it's an, been issue. an issue. But yeah, and then Moraine says, but I found you know you found or a lot of might have found a lane, but I found two girls. Uh, from the two rivers and kind of talks about Egwene and Nynaeve saying that Nynaeve will be more powerful than, than anyone in hundreds of years. Um, that she has potential to be super powerful. Um, so, gosh, the, again, I go back to the politics of it. The, everything that they're saying to each other um, Who's around right now? Just the Leanna, yeah, the Leanna, Leanna, and the keep. She's the keeper of the chronicles, Moraine, and the Airblood. It's the only people that are in this room, in this conversation, outside okay. the room. But yeah. So, I I don't know. I I got the impression. Well, I guess we're jumping forward a little bit. At, at least with uh, the keeper, um, when she leaves the room, I get the impression that whatever was said there was going to be discussed among the other Aes Sedai. And Moraine knows this, and uh, the Emerlin seat knows this. So everything being said now is intentional. Mm-hmm. And because of, like, the political back and forth between the different Ajas, like, it, it's almost like Moraine was very nicely dropping an FU to uh, like at least the Red Aja mm-hmm. and maybe others that are thirsting for power like oh yeah well you got this one girl sure she's the daughter of a queen heir to the throne and maybe you might be able to pull a red doesn't really matter because I've got two <laughs> that will be at least that good and they love men so they're going to be all blue or <laughs> I, I guess brains about saying she likes dudes. But anyways, like it, it was intentionally put out, I, you know, as part of that political game, it would be discussed, it would be gossiped or gossiped mm-hmm. uh, and shared among the other sisters out there. So she's she's trying to um, put a little power in her corner. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. And, and she also brings up that Elida did also say that Moraine's been meddling with a Taviran, um, the most powerful Taviran that Elida said since Arthur Har- Archer, Archer Hawkwing. And, um, and there's been calls for Moraine to be pun- punished for what she's doing. But, but the, the, Moraine was a little confused about the fact that the Greens called for that because the Greens usually side with the Blues. And you know they, they they get kind of the politics, but the but there's apparently they're breaking sides to be with the Reds. Um, so yeah, Marine corrects her and says there's three Tavira, not just one. Um, and now he gets like thoughts on white tire politics because we get a lot more into it. So let's talk about white tire politics. So, just just in general, all of this yeah. stuff being dumped on us. Yeah, like of I, all the stuff going on in the like background. I before, this this will be the first time I'm going to do a reread of a chapter, and the politics don't 
that's the way for them. They don't surprise me. Um, what I think is surprising is that you do have people switching sides, but that happens often in politics when you see an advantage. So, I mean, if I'm looking at it just from an outside standpoint, not really knowing anything about the different seats and the, the history and what's going on, like we find out that we think that one of the other colors wants the seat. And so there has to be some realignment and you have to pick the bigger groups and you got to kind of get them under your belt and you got to, you have to position yourself to make yourself out to be the shit. That way when opportunity does arise, you can capitalize on it. And that sure. sounds like well, that's what's going on. There's a lot of alignment happening. That way, when there's opportunity, a new group can enter as chair. Right. Yeah. In in general, uh, I don't think Chris and I are in a position yet to pass judgment on any of the Aja because we, we still don't know enough. We're exposed to this air quotes, infighting, but it goes back to what I said before. Do they have the same ultimate goal, but just, you know, truly think there's different ways to get there or are they, or are they fighting for completely different I mean, outcomes? You got your blue Aja, uh, what you said, you kind of equivocated to your Gryffindor, but Moraine is far from that. She's just a Slytherin and she is Gryffindor. She's she's a Harry Potter. She can use Slytherin tactics, <laughs> but her heart is Gryffindor. You know, yeah. at least at least that's where I'm at right now. In another chapter, she'll do something. I'll go fuck that bitch. God damn it, she's she's bad again. Like I don't like her. She's dark friend. Maybe she's Black Aja. I don't know. Yeah. But as of right now, I love her and she's amazing. So yeah. I'll say she's Gryffindor with Slytherin abilities. Yeah. Anyways, so, yeah. So at this point, uh, the Amblin asks the Keeper of the Chronicles, Leanne, to leave um, and wants to talk to Marina alone, which is kind of a little taken aback. It's it's kind of unheard of. Um, doesn't happen often, but Leanna does. Leanne does it, and she leaves. And once they're alone, immediately. Um, the Amberlynn ward. Yeah, ward, wards the room so no one can hear them, and then hugs Moraine. And you realize right away they're really old friends. Um, and you have this nice interaction between the two of them, and, and we come to the very. This is the very last scene where the chapter ends with her saying, "Like if anybody finds out what we've been, we've been planning, we will be stilled." Which I don't know if we use that word "stilled" yet, but it's the same as gentling, it's the female version. Of gentling, it's men are gentled, women are still. But yeah, well, I love the last sentence. You have to read that. Yeah, not only yes, will they please. be still, but it says, "And I can't say they would be wrong to do it." Yes, I don't even think we so they're in, they're in beyond in, that. <laughs> in, 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 they're in cahoots. They came up together. Whatever yeah. Moraine is doing, the top seat in the Aes Sedai is in on it also. 
They have a plan together that they're working together. You still don't know what it is. The way I did? Yeah. Moraine is the top seed. (laughs) Oh, maybe not. Nah, bro. Moraine is still H with a head bitch in charge. (laughs) No way. I didn't I didn't think of it that way, but HBIC. She didn't give the hug. She didn't engage. She right away stepped back into the moraine that we know and love. She was in And she right off the bat, she she called the Emerlin seat by, by her, her actual And she she put it in place. We are eyes to die. We have our duties. Even if you and I had not been born to channel. Like, she's questioning, would you give it up for a home and a husband, even a prince? I do not believe it. That is a village good wife's dream. Not even the green goes so far. Like, she's da- she's bad-mouthing the other Aja in front of the HBI, the supposed HBIC. Like, Moraine is the one that's that's truly running the show by taking care of the business that they've determined is ultimately exactly. important. She's a little fan. And, and maybe it's because at some point early on in their development together as I said, I, they both realized the politics that we've talked about is ruining what the white tower is supposed to be and what it's supposed to protect and what it's supposed to ensure and make happen in the future. So, Maybe maybe there was some agreement that, okay, one of them will play the political side and rise to power, while the other one, unbeknownst to everybody else, actually pulls all the strings and goes out and does the important Exactly, work. and who best to I, do the work than the one most qualified and most capable to really run the entire show, but she needs her autonomy. Like, when you're the Emerald Seat, you don't get autonomy. You have hordes of people around you at all time. You have people waiting on you, but you have people watching you, like, it's a distraction. She's the smokescreen. You're the tactician. Damn it, Chris, you did it again. <laughs> I, I, I love your brain. I'm going to keep saying that. That is, you, you wowed me a couple times during this episode, but you wait till the final sentence to blow my fucking mind. And, was, and I, I feel, I feel and like you're right. I'll read the last sentence to be done. And I cannot say they would be wrong to do it. Until next yeah. time. So final thoughts. I mean, we, we talked about this whole entire chapters. We had two chapters. Let's talk about it. Um, you know, any any final thoughts before we do that? I know it's kind of like a mic but... It really is the perfect white drop moment. Don't ruin it for me. It's so I good. I like well, that Obama white drop moment where it's like, yeah, and I'm done. Oh, yeah. All right. So, so we don't have to talk about <laughs> – we don't have to recap anything. Let's just go ahead and go right to the next two chapters that we're going to cover. So I'm going to read out the names for the next two episodes – or two chapters for the next episode um, and get you guys' thoughts on that. So chapter five is going to be The Shadow and Shinar. And chapter six is Dark Prophecy. But I, I really do think we're going to find out that more depth has taken over. And that's the situation we're dealing with. Sure. 
Yeah, and it, it was only a matter of time until we realized how the shadow was still working because remember end of Island world Rand thought it's over he he won he beat the house of yeah. right chris and i know that there are many more books ahead so clearly there's more badness and the shadow keeps shadowing so um i guess this is our first uh hint at how it's operating here yeah first hint yeah yeah in dark prophecy well, I think the dark prophecy has to do with Rand and the Dragon Reborn. But that's just because I want it to. I want some answers. That's the quickest way to get those answers. Yeah. Well, yeah. You can read as soon as we're done with this episode. So that's the quickest way you get the answers to that chapter. Yeah. <laughs> if, I make yeah. it, if I will it into being, this is yeah. going to be the prophecy of Rand and we are going to get all of the answers and the next 12 books is just getting us to fulfilling of the prophecy. And we're going to find yeah. out the importance of the horn. Yep. That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. All right. So I'm going to wrap it up for this week. So how you can find us at the Will Reads, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Find us there. We're on social media. Yay. Uh, then we'll read at gmail.com is your email address. Feel free to email us if you want to talk to us that way. Uh, Discord. Join our Discord. The link's below. It's great. We have people joining all the time, but it's a great community. Um, very welcoming. People will jump on you right away. You might be bombarded when you join, but don't feel, don't, don't feel like uh, it's a bad thing because – we all love you, and we'd love to have you on our Discord. Um, and then Patreon. We mentioned that all of your, every single episode. Uh, if you feel so inclined to give to us, if you want to listen to live episodes going forward, please think about joining our our, our Patreon team. Um, it's uh, we start lowest low as a dollar a month, so uh, one US dollar a month, and um, and that gives you you know access to live recordings moving forward. Uh, from, up from there, we have other tiers as well. So, like, if you want to hear this episode tomorrow and you're listening live right now, the second tier will get you that. So, yeah, lots of cool things you can get with the with our Patreon, um, and then many, many, many more things. Um, and then, um, as well, feel free to rate, review, share us, please. Any service you listen to us on, um, whether it's Podbean or Apple Podcast or Google Podcast or Spotify, whatever it is, uh, rate us, like us, share us. We, we love new listeners. Um, that's about it for me. And before we go, I just want to give a shout out to Watch Trivia and Games, telling them that I appreciate a fun night. Um, I was really concerned that I wasn't going to be as engaged as I wanted to be. Um, and then I screwed my own level of engagement up because I got hungry. <laughs> but it, it was really a great opportunity to really connect with uh, – in, with lovers of the book throughout um, different areas that are on different discords. It really just brought everybody together in a fun way. So much appreciated. Um, I, just, I just want to make sure I put that out there. Oh yeah. It was a lot, a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. Until next Peace. time. Thank you for listening to the wheel of reads. See y'all next time.